0: This is the Open School of Business, the podcast dedicated to success by delivering insightful conversations with business experts from different walks of life. Here's your host, Anaro Musakwa, entrepreneur and a project management professional. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please leave your comments and questions, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. Let's begin. Uh, Welcome to my podcast today, and uh, I am very happy to present you, Michelle McKelvey. Um, I met Michelle McKelvey at the Women's Conference at GW, and she's a candid speaker, inspiring hundreds of women to go into tech, and also she's a sales professional who started with the services industry and successfully transitioned to tech industry, uh, starting um, working at Google, And now uh, she's been the partner manager at Facebook for two years. It's my pleasure to have you on my podcast today. And to start off, I'd like to ask you, what does your current position entail?
1: Hi, guys. My name is Michelle. Thank you, Inar, for the introduction. And my current position is I am a partner manager at Facebook. So I'm responsible for a book of agencies and devising their advertising strategy and really helping them think about the future and how social media fits into their business moving forward. So
0: when you work with these agencies, what is your most important task when you are in communication with them or you're onboarding a new customer?
1: You know, and I'd love to to give context to this question. A few years ago, when I first started at Facebook, I've been at Facebook now two and a half years. One of the things that we really focused on was how can we help the millions of small business advertisers have access to our platforms, whether it's technical support, whether it's direct access to Facebook? And one of the things that we've really focused on the past few years is building out tools like VIP chat support, like self service tools, that can actually help millions of small businesses access Facebook directly. So that's been a huge focus for us the past few years. Now, with that, I think moving forward, one of the things we're we're most interested in is how do we continue to go deeper with our advertisers, and how do we continue to help other people that are interested in advertising on Facebook. So when it comes to my role, I'm really interested in helping W Promote, who is my specific agency, figure out how to use our platform best. But my role is way more strategic than a lot of our other roles at Facebook. So. I'm really focused on how can we help 1 W promotes advertisers and client lists grow but 2 how do we also empower W promote to be able to solve technical issues and to solve other minute tasks that can be solved through our chat support services so that I can spend a lot of my time focusing on 2020 2021 and really thinking strategically I think it also brings up a really interesting question of, especially in our business, automation is a huge topic that we're we're really interested in. And so I think, honestly, in our it brings up a question of how do we think about automation versus actually employing someone like myself to help think strategically. And I think the answer is one, automation, we can solve and build tools like chat support, which I mentioned, to help advertisers work at scale, but two, I really don't think moving forward that you can automate strategy. Like you can't automate someone to think strategically or creatively for you, and that really is where my role is: is doing things that we can't automate, and being creative with how we think about strategy in 2020. So long. Oh,
0: absolutely. <laughs> but yes. yeah The and yes. tech industry is all about automation, but the human part of it is not being replaced. And I don't think, I don't see it even with the AI and a lot of new innovations, Mm -hmm. I don't see it coming. And it's so true. So um, one thing that I wanted to differentiate is between um, the work with the agencies and the work with the small businesses Mm -hmm. um, in advertising. And uh, since you mentioned that you work with the advertising agency, and uh, but you also are involved with the projects that are making small businesses strive and making them want to use the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, do you work with any direct small businesses uh, that you get answers from and how you can change or you can develop new features for them? Because usually, in my at least experience, I saw a lot of small businesses uh, working directly with Facebook ads and uh, trying to promote their things. And a lot of them don't really have enough funds in the beginning, especially to afford uh, an agency, for example.
1: A hundred percent. I think it's such a great question. We have over 10 million small businesses on our platform, six million of which are advertising with us. So, anyone at Facebook in some way works with small businesses. The way that I think about my role is technically my number one priority is how do we help support and strategize with the agency first? But ultimately, W is supporting, you know, roughly anywhere between 100 to 200 clients, anywhere ranging from A Missouri Star Quilt, which is a small quilting company based out of Hamilton, Missouri, all the way up to The Honest Company and NBC. So ultimately, you know, one of the... They have a wide range of clients. Exactly. And so ultimately, one of the things that we're really focused on is how do we help provide services and packages for Missouri Star Quilt all the way up to The Honest Company. And so I think moving forward my role really is focused on W Promote as a as a company but I do between 20 to 30 percent of my work is focused on the actual advertiser. Now the the model at Facebook is really interesting because we have partner managers like myself who are responsible for the agency at large but then we also have account managers who are responsible for the end-to-end advertiser. So those are the people that are talking to the client every day they normally manage a book between twenty to 30, 20 to thirty businesses. Now, I also want to to double down into what a small business, how we categorize a small business. All right. We 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 don't necessarily categorize a small business by spend, but we do have a, a team at Facebook literally dedicated to just businesses that are getting onto Facebook that are advertising on our platforms. We really double down on advertisers that or small businesses that have been advertising on our platforms for normally over a year and that are looking for more advanced strategic support. So in terms of of small businesses, they range in terms of the ones that I support, but ultimately my responsibility is to the, the agency and educating them at scale.
0: And I know that you've been in sales for a while now. Obviously this one is more of a customer relationship building position, but uh, throughout your career in sales and the advertising or marketing, uh, what would you uh, share with our audience as one of the most important lessons you learned how to be successful in sales if you want to sell more?
1: Oh my goodness. Anar, it's such a good, it's such a good question. And I think it's something that I've, I've thought a lot about, you know, I'll take you guys back to when I was 22 and I graduated from Babson. I went to Babson College, a phenomenal school outside of Boston. And one of the things that I loved about Babson was that it taught me to have a focus very, very early on. So from my freshman year, I literally had to decide, I was a business major, everyone going into Babson's a business major. And then by your sophomore year, you had to declare your concentration. And I always knew I was interested in marketing, But I think that one of the things that's really driven me to to be successful is just to be really focused and figure out very early on what I wanted to do. And I have a favorite quote from Diane von Furstenberg. She always says, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew the woman I wanted to be. And the woman I wanted to be was someone that was really passionate about people that had great relationships with people and ultimately did put her career above above her her personal life and to be totally vulnerable with you guys you know over the past seven years in my career i'm 29 i am still single and i've worked really hard to get to where i am in my career because i allowed myself to to build a lot of different skills and move around the country i'll give you guys an example when i was 22 i was dating a guy who we ended up breaking up a few years later. But when I was 22, when we broke up, I literally went to a couple of things. I was an admin at Marriott at the time. We went, when we were going through the really bad breakup, instead of like going out with my girlfriends and putting my personal life first, I actually went and worked at Margaritas as a hostess. And I worked at J. Crew as a sales associate. So on weekends I was at J. Crew after work I was at Margarita's as a hostess. And what that did was it allowed me to build customer service skills. So getting any type of restaurant experience, getting any type of retail experience, and then also being an administrative assistant at Marriott, those were really the foundational elements of where I am today. I think that in our generation, when I mentor young women, I'm seeing a lot of people not want to put in the work and the reality is there isn't any substitute for hard work. And I'm not saying that you have to go and necessarily work you know, 12 hour days and work on weekends too. But when you're young, especially when you're graduating from college, be open to taking a, a job that potentially isn't the, the title that you want or isn't something that you're that excited about from a title perspective, but a job at a company that Still will give
0: about you- the knowledge, right? And the experience. Yeah, exactly. And I see
1: a lot of people, you know, a lot of people will say to me, well, Michelle, like I want to be, you know, a partner manager out of college, or I want to like, how did you get to where you are now? And the reality is it was a really long journey for me, especially after going through my breakup, especially then, you know, it. Being an admin, all of my girlfriends, my best friend included, worked at Goldman Sachs or McKinsey or these amazing companies that I just, because I had a 2.7 GPA coming out of college, I never thought that I would ever be at a Facebook. And then after I was at Marriott for three years, I ended up being the youngest account executive that we had or sales executive that we had at, at Marriott. And the reason why it was that was because I did the work. I put in the hours, I kept my head down, and I really got to know different types of people and develop different shades of myself. And, all, and the reason why I bring up my, my personal life is because you know when I went through a breakup, and I've been through multiple breakups, by the way, but you develop and understand different sides of yourself. And when you go through really tough things in your career, you also develop different shades of yourself, whether it's developing more empathy for people, whether it's understanding different types of personalities that you might not have gotten along with, but that doesn't come without hardship. And so I think that one of the things Cheryl says at Facebook is leaning into the suck. Like when you're going through Mm -hmm. something in a company or when you don't get that promotion or when you're working with someone that you don't like, I look back on those experiences, whether it be at Marriott. And then after I was at Google for two years, as an account executive, you know, those were really tough times for me. I moved out to Silicon Valley when I didn't know a single person. I also had broken up with my boyfriend at the time and, you know, moving forward, it was, it was probably the toughest time in my life personally and professionally, because I didn't understand Google. I didn't understand anything about digital advertising, but ultimately it really was the time where I learned the most about myself and developed a relationship with myself and so if I were to synthesize the, the response, it would really be one, lean into the suck when you are at a company or are in a position where you're not necessarily happy. Think about a different perspective around what can I learn from this and how can I grow from this. Two, understand that right out of college, and I'm, I'm speaking to the, the young women and men who are probably looking at their first job, I did not get my dream job out of college. But I got a job as an admin that taught me how to be organized, how to execute, and ultimately how to be really detail-oriented, which were the foundational skills for where I am now. And then thirdly, don't be afraid to take risks. I think sometimes we're so nervous to take risks or work at a company that people might not have heard of or take a role that isn't amazing because we're afraid of risk. But ultimately, do not shy away from risks. You know, when you're when you're my age, when you're 29 or 30, it becomes tougher and tougher as you get older to justify taking a leap or a risk. But when you're in your early to mid-20s, go live abroad, go work at a company that's a startup, go and work at a, a role that you potentially might not be interested in because you have a lot of runway to ultimately understand what you want to do. So to build on the question too, you know, success does not come from your life Personally or professionally, being at least for me, it has not come from everything being perfect and happy. And I think why I've been able to pull myself out of situations like starting at Google and not having any experience, like starting as a sales executive at Marriott and being the youngest sales executive they had ever had, you know, to now at Facebook, being one of the fastest people that's been promoted here, ultimately. That has come from going through really, really hard things, whether it's other people doubting you, whether it's not understanding or even doubting yourself. And I think sometimes I listen or I go to conferences and everyone's like, oh, everything's rainbows and daisies and I'm happy and I have work-life balance. That just has not been my reality over the past seven years. And I- Work-life balance
0: is a myth. mm -hmm. And uh, especially Mm -hmm. being a woman, I can relate to that like you were saying, that mm-hmm. you consciously made a decision to focus on your career, setting aside your personal life, and it's absolutely logical because in this country, especially where the maternity leave is only two, three months at most, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. moms don't have the opportunity to focus on both things. So it becomes an either-or situation and uh, obviously you got to build up to the point where then you might have the opportunity and you can afford yourself to take a break completely and Mm. focus on that side of the equation.
1: A hundred percent. And I think one of the things, you know, I do, I, I wish I, I wish I could say I'm more of a reader. I, I have been meaning to for the past year get, get into reading a book every month. I haven't done this. However, Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg is one of my favorite books by far. When I read this book, it literally changed my trajectory because one of the things she, she mentions in the book is, you know, if you want to get married and have it all and have kids, work really, really hard in your 20s. Oh, that's right. where you do the work. That's where you put your head down. And, you know, listen, my parents were married when they were 21 and 23. Like they were married young and they just celebrated. It's right. you know, well, their-
0: a different generation as well. And- it Absolutely.
1: Is. Absolutely, And I think it's just, it's so important for young women to keep their head down. And, and for me personally, work really hard in your twenties, because now if I were to potentially be married and I don't have a boyfriend y'all, so like, I'm not even at step one, but you know, if I were to get married and have kids, you know, I can make my own schedule. I can make my own meetings. I have the autonomy over my schedule. And I think that a lot of the times where I see women misstep is that they don't put the pedal to the metal when they're in their early 20s and they wait until you know they're in their late 20s to try to make an amazing career, which you can do a 1 million percent. I have known so many women that will turn around when they're in their 30s and 40s and reinvent themselves. I just think the path of least resistance is working really hard, tasting a lot of things in your 20s. And ultimately also, I'd love to touch on understanding, you know, I even struggle with this too, not comparing yourself to other people and other journeys. And I, and a lot of my girlfriends now are getting married and having kids and I'm not. And at the end of the day, it's one of the, you know, it's really important to me. I want a large family, but I know that when I'm ready or when I do meet that right person, that I have put my career first in my twenties, and then I'm ready to put my family first in my thirties.
0: Uh, Yes, you are amazing in your understanding of the life chapters, I would say. Mm -hmm. So when you were talking about, you know, the chapter of the 20s, that's hard work, that's you trying different things. Um, So for the benefit of anyone who wants to do similar things in the future and just in general succeed in their career, can you... Tell us a story about how you got promoted and what kind of positions you start with Facebook and what's their criteria, Mm -hmm. basically a story how you did it uh, in Facebook.
1: Totally. Yeah. So I I started at Facebook two and a half years ago and our business has changed drastically in the past two and a half years. And as I think about not only my promotions at Facebook, but my promotions at Marriott, I think there's some common themes that I've, I've thought about. When I was promoted from being an admin to a sales executive at Marriott, what's interesting about that promotion is that I, my, my director at the time, her name was Kesset Evans. She was my first mentor. She was the most amazing mentor to me. She was pregnant at the time and she would wear heels and always have her hair done and she was just the most put together, well-spoken woman. She actually was the one who piloted people working remotely first. Marriott, which at the time it was unheard of. You just don't work remotely. And Kesset was the one that pushed it through for our team. And so the reason why I was promoted first at Marriott, I think was because I was always very vulnerable and raw and honest with Kesset. So whenever, if I was having a day or if I was in, you know, a mood, which we all get into, I would, I obviously wouldn't go to her desk and say, Hey, like, you know, I'm in a a mood or at or having a day, but I was always very vulnerable and raw with her around the things that I was really good at in the role, the things I was getting energy from, the things that weren't as as energizing to me. And I was really open with her about those things. And I also was very open with her about what I wanted in terms of the next role. I think that sometimes we have and are hiring, you know, across the tech industry, a lot of people that are looking to their manager to decide for them what their next role is. And the reality is, is that you own your own career. So the reason why I was promoted at Facebook was because I was very, very intentional about the projects I was involved in, the time that I was spending with people. And I aligned myself to really smart people that were better at the role than I was. And I think sometimes as women, we get very territorial about, you know, if another person's more successful than us, either talking about her or not necessarily like saying the nicest things. I think it's so important now more than ever for women to, especially women that are in larger roles than women behind them, to support them and to be open and bring up other women with them. And for younger women who look up to those women to actively ask for help, to actively ask for guidance Because at the end of the day, I have seen on multiple occasions, females across industries, whether it's at Marriott, Google, or Facebook, try to to not support women as much as they should. And so whether that's sending an email, whether it's reaching out to a woman that you've looked up to and just being raw and honest about what you don't know and what you need help with, I think is really important. So I think that those are the two Mm -hmm. things, you know, in terms of how I think about my promotion professionally. But personally, I also think that you know, one of the things that Facebook that we love is bringing your full self to work. And that is bringing your fitness, your health, your relationships, all of that baggage to work. And sometimes it's amazing because you show up as one person, but then other times when you do bring your full self to work, you know, you are raw and, and vulnerable. And so I have, I've done, I think a really good job over the past few years of being open with my manager about, What I need in a role and what I'm great at and what I'm not great at, and doubling down on my strengths and not trying to be someone that is all the things, you know, which is one of my favorite phrases to say. But I am not, for example, I am not an analytical thinker. And for a long time in my career, I was trying to like build that skill set and build more of my analytics. I'm just not that person. I'm a creative, visionary type of thinker, and I'm not an accounting major. And, and I think sometimes right. I try to be someone that I wasn't. And so again, I think that the biggest piece that has contributed to me getting promoted is one, finding and seeking people that are better at the role than I am. Two, understanding that my strength is being creative. And so finding projects or things within the role that can align to that. And then three is being humble enough to understand what I am not good at and i think that that's ultimately what's led me to be to double down on my strengths and then continue to to work on my areas of opportunity but being a, i believe being raw and vulnerable especially when it comes to sales with your clients is also one of the most important important things you can do and so that's how i've developed a career in sales
0: especially being vulnerable very important in drawing people to trust you. And if you build trust, then it's so much easier to Agreed. influence and to get to your goals. And you mentioned about women sometimes not being so supportive of women. And uh, in my opinion, it's also um, just a mindset issue. Mm-hmm. And I think it also manifests itself in men as well. Yep. And uh, that'd be another question in terms of like, have you had any um, male supportive um, people around your career that were your mentors or?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I, you know, I remember when I was at Marriott, I was an admin at the time in our Gaithersburg sales office and I had a woman she was my, my manager and I applied to be a catering sales coordinator on property. And when I did, I ended up getting the role. And one of my male mentors at the time, his name was Chris Orr. He was the director of, of the Mid-Atlantic. I went into his office and I told him that I got the role. And Stephanie Sharple, who actually was my, the, my, my manager at the time, she, I'll never forget, she literally said, you know, of course, Michelle, of course you got the role. Like, Terry loves blonde hair, blue eyed women. So, of course, you got the role. And said this in front of Chris. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like, wait, yeah, did I-
0: that was completely inappropriate.
1: Totally. Like, did I just get this role because I am blonde hair and blue eyed? And, and so, you know, and then Chris jumped in and said, you know, absolutely not, Michelle. You got it on your own merit, your skill set, you're a perfect fit for the role. But to your point, Anar, it's you know I I have had more male allies than I have had, like at least at Marriott and at Google, um, and then at, at Facebook as well. I think I've had really, really, really strong, for the most part, female managers. But you also get those anomalies anomalies like Stephanie was, who also potentially try to tear down other women or say things that are just not not true. And so that's right. an. Ex- of of a not great example. I think at Facebook, one of the things that I have been so lucky and and so grateful for at this company, and listen, I get it. We've been in the news a lot and people obviously have their own opinions on Facebook. But the reality is, is that I have had the best female managers that I've ever had at this company. And Barbara Fitzpatrick was my first female manager when I was here. And she was the one who pushed me to continue to develop my skill set and to continue to to think about my career path. Katie Baldwin, who's my current manager, is just absolutely phenomenal at helping me triple down on my strengths and putting me in front of projects and people that I'll excel in front of. And you know, Jeff Friedman, who's my other mentor, um, who's a male ally, he has been instrumental in giving me feedback along the way. And so I think that in terms of, of male allies, I've had incredible male allies and, and incredible female managers here. But I think you know, seven years ago, also the world was in a very different place than we are now. And so I think that, you know, the Stephanie Sharples of the world, I'm sure they still exist, but there's less emphasis. Um, or, um, I like people do not tolerant, people aren't as tolerant of, of comments like that. And, and especially at Facebook, which is, you know, obviously led by Sheryl Sandberg and Mark, you know, it definitely is a place where females are empowered and females do have a voice. And, and females are encouraged to, to, to support each other. Every two years we have a women at conference where they fly, Facebook flies every single woman around the world to Menlo Park. And we have a conference, a day long conference that is just dedicated on how to support each other, how to continue to build community around women. And I think that's the most important, the most important piece that a company can have is diversity and, but also, it's also helping other women grow and continuing to to be in leadership roles. It's just better business. All of the research says out there that better companies have better diversity and there's a correlation there. And so I think Facebook did that early on and it's a continuous, it's a continuing focus for us is diversity and inclusion.
0: I agree that there's a lot of press about Facebook and a lot of viewpoints, but one thing that struck me most is the strategy around collaboration mm-hmm. that's been initiated on the organizational level, where Mark himself is uh, involved with that, and um, mm-hmm. uh, I was wondering, like, what other collaboration tools or or frameworks are in work in Facebook, except the hackathon, mm-hmm. the one that is more famous. 100%. For example, like like feedback, performance uh, reviews.
1: Yeah, so so we're a very mission-driven company. So our our mission is to make the world as open as connected as open and connected as possible, and also build community around that as well. And so we embody that internally through a few different ways. One is that Workplace, which is one of our products, we are all on Workplace, and that's how we communicate as a company. A lot of my dialogue is actually on Workplace and not over email. That's number one. Number two is we have different groups within Facebook. So we have our Pride at group. We have our Women at group. We have Latinos at group. And all of these groups are, are they put on different programming events. They have meetings monthly. They... Do like, for example, for pride, our pride group always has a float in the Austin pride festival every year. So they really develop the we have these micro communities within Facebook. And then we have our black at group which they do a conference every year where they bring everyone together as well. So Community at Facebook is very, very, very important. And I actually think one of the biggest differences between Google and Facebook is the emphasis on community. And then number three is in our Facebook products. So we have groups, which is our, our big focus for 2020, is how do we take people out of the digital, the digital town square and put them into the digital living room, which is what we believe and Mark's vision is for the future the future of social, which is more private, more group focused, more messaging focused. And so we obviously are continuing to iterate on our groups as well. To your question around feedback, it is so incredibly important at Facebook. We have reviews twice a year and then we have mid cycles as well. So I I write my review, it's delivered to me in January and then I'll get mid cycle feedback in March and then I'll get another review in July. And so we have reviews twice a year instead of once a year. We have mid-cycle check-ins, which are check-ins with your manager every every half. And then we also have weekly one-on-ones with our managers. So our culture is feedback is a gift. We welcome feedback, whether it's from, you know, as far up as like from the public. I'm sure you've heard all of the feedback from the public this year about Facebook. But then also internally, you know, how do we we continue to prioritize on a project, doing postmortems, doing debriefs, and making sure that we're taking the good and the bad. And that's, that's how we get better. We also have a survey called Pulse, which is every, every six months, our company is pulled on and everyone is encouraged to answer it. How we think about the direction of the company, how we think about internally, um, how things are going, and then those results get all the way bubbled up to Mark. And each of the leaders report out on the feedback that they're receiving from our org. So it's we have a huge culture of feedback all the way from top, like the top of the top from Mark, all, all the way down to our management culture as well.
0: Wow, that's really great. And um, building on feedback, uh, usually uh, big companies, they have, uh, well, obviously that Pulse type of uh, tools that... Um, help get feedback from the field employees and everyone around the world. Uh, But also, if you're lucky enough to work at the headquarters, then you'll have town hall meetings. And I was wondering, how often do you have them? And what about all the other virtual employees around the world? Do they get to participate through uh, maybe the workplace uh, video chat or something like that?
1: Totally. So every Thursday, Mark hosts an internal Q and A, and it used to be on Fridays. But in the tech industry, um, Friday afternoons are sometimes um, sparse. People, you know, definitely like to work remotely Friday afternoons. So we started to do them on Thursday afternoons. Anyone can dial in from any remote office, and then in addition to that, you also can dial in from a Menlo Park. So you can you can dial in from Menlo Park, but you can also attend in Menlo Park. And Mark will take questions that are that the company is asking. So we have an internal poll where people can ask questions and then Mark addresses the top five in the poll. And so you know every week he does this. And I think it's just such a great, a great one, it sets the tone for people asking really raw and open questions, which we do. We ask the hard questions. We want to know what's going on, especially within the past few years. But ultimately, it really fosters this idea of transparency. And he's very transparent about, especially given what's happened in the past year, you know, where the company is headed and the direction moving forward. And so ultimately, that's how we, we think about the q and a's, is a safe, open forum for people to ask any question they want, ranging from, hey, Mark, what did you eat this morning to, hey, how are you thinking about political ads in 2020? And then he answers them. So I think it's a really important cornerstone of Facebook. Google does it as well. Larry and Sergey, they used to when I was there. They had TGIT, which was um, their open Q&A piece. But definitely at Facebook, it's a huge staple of the company in terms of fostering open, candid questions and getting the real answers from leadership
0: right it's amazing so for example if you're sitting uh, somewhere in India or China you can dial in and be live with um, the founder of the company and ask your questions real time
1: yeah exactly See him real time that's amazing Mm-hmm. And it's so important and it's, it's a really great, you know, especially for each team, you know, I'm at, I'm obviously in the sales org, so I don't hear the political ads piece. You know, I don't do, my advertisers aren't advertising on political ads or have politicians that are advertising. So the political ads piece doesn't affect me that much. So it's really nice to like be able to go to these Q and A's and as a company. What is top of mind and what isn't and what questions are being asked at a company level versus just in our own org.
0: Right. Were there times that you would be surprised with the answer?
1: Oh, Was all the time.
0: I think like you're like, oh, I, you
1: know. Yeah, like. for sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of times where I think what I wish, I really do wish that the public would see the mark that comes to our Q&A's. And I think he's demonstrated a lot of these other, these other qualities when he's done press. But he is just, you can tell that he is just a really kind human. And I think internally we get to see more of the like human aspects of Mark, but I have to say he's funny, like internally, like he's just funny. He has a great sense of humor. He is clearly a really intelligent, but he's really empathetic. And he absolutely, I see these memes all the time saying Mark Zuckerberg doesn't feel anything. He absolutely does. And at these Q&As, we get to see more of the raw, vulnerable, vulnerable side of him. And I wish the public can see that. So I think that was the biggest surprise overall over the past few years is just how much of a human he is and how just nice of a person he is and how caring of a person he is. And it doesn't make a great media story, right, to like say how human and nice Mark Zuckerberg is.
0: Well, I think if maybe some of those town hall meetings that vibes – if they could translate into um, more of a public meeting, that could have been an opportunity. But I think it's a little bit different because I think when you're live on Facebook, and I have seen Mark sometimes being live and I would catch it and I would watch it. But totally. Still, you can't really like, I mean, you can ask questions or like and stuff like that. But um, because it's not like simultaneous, it's not like a instant um it doesn't go instantly to his eyes, like he wouldn't see it, so you don't see any reaction. Obviously, then it's a completely different experience. hundred percent. So maybe at your town halls, you have, you know, people are there, or mm-hmm. they connect through audio and they talk about it, and yeah, you you'll see the immediate reaction to certain words or phrases, and that Absolutely. makes everything more more real. And then obviously, the human looks more human. Exactly.
1: Um, Exactly. And, 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 it's such a good point because I think, you know, when you're, you know, my, my day is so crazy and I'm so, so lucky to work at a company that, you know, I feel incredibly connected to our mission. And the reason why I feel incredibly connected to our mission is because every Thursday we hear from the founder of the company on his thoughts. Right. And so I think when you know, when I talk with senior leaders or mentor them, it really is important to stay connected to the pulse of the company. Mark doesn't sit in an ivory tower and make all these decisions by himself. He openly asks for feedback. He openly asks people for their opinions and he openly asks questions and he's, he gives real answers, not just some type of political answer. And so I absolutely think that Mark is an amazing, amazing founder and CEO. And it definitely makes you feel connected to Facebook even more so because we do these Q and A's.
0: thank you for that. And uh, I wanted to um, take you back a little bit, uh, actually a lot further away <laughs> from where you <laughs> are today into mm-hmm. your childhood and see if that's what you imagined for your life, where you're always interested in business, Hmm. Or who did you want to become when you were a kid?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! Like, were your
0: like favorite childhood books or <laughs> anything that had an impact? Like, oh, you saw something, you know, it's like, okay, this is going what I'm gonna be.
1: Yeah. Oh my goodness. I, you know, I'd be interested to hear my mom and dad's response to this. I'll probably ask them tonight when I when I give them a call. I think when I was younger, I always liked. I always had an entrepreneurial spirit, so I would collect. I loved collecting business cards. Like when I was four or five, I would have I had a binder of business cards. I didn't really know what business cards were, (laughs) but I just loved business cards. Like I loved how they looked. I loved how they were like symbolized like a person or a business. And so I, I literally had binders of business cards. You know, when we would go on trips, I wasn't interested in like collecting anything outside of business cards. I would literally want to go from store to store and I would ask this, the store owner, Hey, do you have a business no. card? Do you have a business <laughs> card? And so, you know, I, You were uh, building your database. Yeah, that I didn't even really know what a business card was. Right. And so I think I've always been interested in connection and people and relationships. I think that's one. I think two, also, you know, I, I loved, um, I loved having, I had a, an imagination. So I, my mom was, a theater major she went to smith college and she would always take us on water tower picnics and she would i would have these pet rocks growing up where i would like paint rocks and put eyes on them and have you know parties with my paint rocks and you know tell i don't know if this is more weird or you know me fostering connection but i i literally but i just always like liked like community i would have like multiple pet rocks and multiple dolls and have these tea parties so I absolutely loved connection when I was younger. I think I also had an entrepreneurial spirit because I would build these fans. So we would go to Bryce Resort, which is in the middle of Virginia, every every year for the 4th of July. And I noticed, and this is when I was about seven or eight, I noticed that it was always really hot, but people didn't have fans. Like they didn't have fans. And so I was like, okay, well, what if I make paper fans? So take like an eight wow. and a half by 11 sheet of computer paper and fold them up into a fan and then sell them for $10 each before at the, at the, the July piece, you know, would I, would I be able to make money? And so my first piece of feedback from my parents was $10 is great, but like, let's start at 75 cents. And I thought they were under underpriced, but I, you know, at the end of the day, I've, I've always had you know some type of of entrepreneurial spirit in me i would never start my own company because i do like the structure that corporate america provides i think tech is a really nice blend of continuing to have an entrepreneurial spirit and me thriving in that but also providing structure around i know i'm going to get a paycheck i know like what the mission of the company is and not having to be um, a founder, I think, is is important. But watch me. I mean, who knows? Maybe in 10 years I'll change my mind. But I, um, <laughs>
0: that, that can I happen know. because um, this, like the natural qualities that you already have that you're talking about, and it's great that you're aware of them.
1: Mm-hmm, with mm-hmm.
0: time, the, 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 you start gaining different skills and building on them. Yep. And I can totally bring you to a complete different space. Yeah, um,
1: absolutely. And I think when I was younger too, like I've always had an interest in fashion, in design, in interior design. And, you know, I think that I've always tried, but I've always loved sales and marketing and I've loved brands. And, you know, I soul cycle every morning at 6am. Not be And the workout's incredible. It's an incredible workout, but you know ultimately i soul cycle because i love the people and the community and the brands what is the soul cycle brand the soul cycle brand is that it's a premium for workout classes it's you're surrounded by people that absolutely obviously prioritize fitness that are showing up that are paying 30 dollars a class and and ultimately care about that more so than potentially going out and having two cocktails the, the night before. So, I think the 6 a.m. Soul Cycles that I do with Chris Chandler for anyone who is in Austin, Texas, you absolutely have to take Chris Chandler's class from 6 a.m. Um, 6 a.m. on. He does an incredible class. But I think like I've always been attracted to really strong brands because they stand for something. Soul Cycle stands for equality, it stands for resilience, it stands for respect, it stands for a tribe. And I've always, and Facebook, the same thing. Facebook has a really strong brand. So I think I was always attracted to Marriott out of college because it was a brand name and I loved travel. But that's where I am, you know, if I if you were to ask me when I was a kid, I don't even in college, you know, I never thought I was smart enough to be at a Facebook or a Google. I just didn't. And you'd read all these articles like, oh, well, you can't, you know, you need a minimum of a 3.5 GPA to even be included. I had a 2.7 GPA coming out of college. Like I'm not naturally smart like i'm not like academics does not maybe
0: maybe it's just your view and there were certain were there certain subjects you thrived in
1: i loved marketing i loved anything that i could be creative the 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 interesting part is that going to a business school for me was a blessing and a curse because i had to take accounting classes and finance classes and classes that i just weren't i'm not like a reader they'll
0: say gonna drop the gpa significantly for not the analytical type
1: but my balance sheet still doesn't balance like i don't you know so i just don't i've never gotten a balance sheet to balance so at the end of the day you know it it forced me to understand that in those classes the way that i would get by was working as hard as i could aligning myself with the smartest people in the class sitting front row showing the professor that i cared going to his office hours and making sure that i was giving it everything i had And, you know, my brother, luckily he is so naturally smart. Like he just gets concepts really well. The reality is I don't get concepts immediately and I have to like read a book twice or watch an interview twice for me to really understand what's going on. And so I don't pick up on things. However, what I pick up on things well is people. I can read people really well. I can understand people really well and I can understand their motivators and I can understand how to get them from point a to point b and i but when it comes to academics it's not my strength and mm-hmm. so i never thought but and that's, that's incredible
0: work. because we live in a real world with real people so mm-hmm. that's more of an applicable skill that you developed mm-hmm. and uh, and it's interesting you are such a fan of soul cycle because one of the other podcasts recently we were talking about peloton yeah and how That one is so amazing. And obviously you see more and more people who are using it. uh, I would say introverts or people who just want to do things on their own Mm -hmm. and they're completely fine with that. And it does have a virtual connection where you can see other people doing it at the same time. Mm-hmm. But still, it's a very different because you're not meeting these people, you can't say hi, and you can't do an intro after the class, mm-hmm. or can't really connect in real life. So it's, it's two different uh, frameworks for two different types of people.
1: Totally. And I have very strong thoughts on this. I think that you know there are people that can do that and have the discipline to be able to to do that. I have to say, when I graduated from, from college, one of the things that I really struggled with was when you're in college, you're constantly around people. And then when you graduate, you're not. And you can talk on the phone with your friends and whatnot, but you come from, from work and it's hard to make friends outside of work. And I think what SoulCycle provides, and, and it, whether it's SoulCycle or SolidCore, which is another workout class I do or whatnot, SoulCycle particularly, because it is so important to have community is, you develop a community of people that you when you go to the same classes you see the same people you start to talk to them in the locker room or outside of class and i now have the dearest friends from soul cycle because of that brand and because we go to the same classes we like the same things we are interested in fitness and it's a healthy way to develop friendships a lot of the time people will say oh i want to go to happy hour with friends or whatnot that's great but like tuesday you know, afternoon or at night, I'm not interested in having a few cocktails. I'm interested in getting to bed early and going, going to, to cycle the next morning. So I think that for me, it's really allowed me to one, also have accountability in the community, right? If my friends who I soul cycle with don't see me for a few days, they're like, Michelle, where are you? Like, what do you, you know, come to class, come to ride. We all do our riding schedules together. It's also allowed me to meet moms and to meet, you know, my gay queens. And to me, like just all these different types of people that I wouldn't have met otherwise. And so it exposes you to so many other people, so many other companies and people that work at these companies. And I I love it. And so I think for me, it kills two birds with one stone. It allows me to be accountable to fitness and it allows me to make additional friendships outside of work that I wouldn't have met before. Peloton, absolutely wonderful. But the reality is you don't build a community from that. And There's something to be said about being in person, especially, and this is a tangent, but I'm going to go there. I think we always think about like our world is becoming so virtual and I work at a company that has Oculus and is like investing (laughs) in the future of your virtual reality and is at the forefront of that. But I do think it's really important that people continue to see each other in person and date in person and... And there is something to be said about an in-person connection that is really important. And I don't know. I mean, I just, I think it's, it's something that us as a generation don't value as much as, as the previous generation. And it is so deeply important for us to value that.
0: Oh, yes, because life is happening in real time. You have the real body that you need to <clears throat> maintain. And if you want to be healthy, you need to be fit. So it's amazing how you're killing two birds with one stone, and you know it's really making you successful as well because and in, mm-hmm. in a body that's healthy you're going to be more fit and you're going to be ready to show up to your life and your career so it's just essential part and uh, it's also very motivating in terms mm-hmm. of how you are going to be maintaining that life a hundred percent making it better faster and getting stronger every day so and i I get that fitness networking community are a big part of your success but is there anything like a small habit or something that you do every day i'm assuming that soul cycle is not something that you do every day but is there something that you do every day that helps you?
1: Absolutely. I think that one of the things that I do every day is I wake up every day at five o'clock in the morning. I will sometimes snooze to five Oh five. But after that, I get up, I make my latte. I actually already have my lattes pre-made. So I'll try to make them on Sundays. I'll throw them in, in the fridge. I'll get my latte at five, five I'll go to soul at six. And then after, after Soul Cycle, I'll get out at like 6, 6.45, or sorry, I'll get out at 6.45 and then I will do one personal thing. So I will call my mom, I'll call my dad, I'll call my best friends who are on the East Coast who might be up and getting ready for work. I will look at my bank accounts, I'll look at my 401k, I'll make sure that pers- I'll answer my personal email. I will make sure that everything in my personal life is taken care of by 7.30 in the morning. And so once I I'm done with either the phone call or going through my email or, or my banks, I will then go and get ready from seven 30 to eight 15. I'll throw in a great playlist. I'll shower, I'll do my makeup, I'll do my hair. And then I walk to work. So I'll walk to work and I'll be in the office by eight 30. That morning time is sacred to me. Once I get to my desk, I write down three things. I do an exercise that I call mind clears. So I will write down what I'm grateful for that day, what I'm excited about. I'll then write down what I'm stressed about. I'll write down tasks that will probably take two seconds to complete. I'll write down all these tasks and then then I'll write down my priorities for the day. So that normally takes about five minutes, but there's something about seeing either what you're stressed about or what you're grateful for or excited about on paper and that then becomes the shell of my day. So every time I leave the office, I make sure that all those annoying tasks that will probably take two seconds to complete are done, my priorities are done, and then I leave, I leave the office ready to start the next day. I think that's what I do every day. And then I think the second thing is sleep. There cannot be enough emphasis on the importance of sleep. I try to go to bed and I'm, I'm in bed by nine or 10 at night and, and getting a full night's sleep, I also think is really, really, really important. When I was working at Google, I didn't. I would go to bed at midnight, I'd wake up at six, I wasn't getting enough sleep and I just wasn't as efficient. So those, I think my morning routine is so sacred to me, and I never devote. Divul- like no matter what comes up, that's why I love working out in the morning and doing all these things is that one, my energy is high. two, There isn't any excuse for me not to go to SoulCycle at 6 a.m. It's not like, you know, if I were to go to a 5.30 p.m. class, there's so many excuses like, well, maybe I had a work happy hour or maybe I'm tired or maybe it was a tough day. That's why I like my morning routine to be in the the mornings is because nothing can interfere with it.
0: Right. And it brings that element of mindfulness. Yeah. I love your practice of writing down things that uh, not only you're excited and happy about, But also things that you're stressed about, because once you see them, it's easier to tackle them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yes, Uh that
0: is amazing. So uh, we had such a great conversation. Uh, I'm really loving it. And uh, I think to close off, um, it would be the best to ask what's the uh, most inspiring song that helps you go through anything in life. And, uh, you know, we can play a little bit snippet of that song later. Um, so.
1: Yes. This is me by Kesha. Yeah. I've seen her live many times and she is absolutely phenomenal. If that isn't like anyone's cup of tea, then run the world by Beyonce is my anthem. Every morning run the world by Beyonce is my is the song I wake up to. They're
0: they're both very energetic artists, so (laughs) it's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. We wish you all the best in your career and obviously looking forward to seeing you back in DC at conferences or whether you're gonna be visiting your family. Wonderful,
1: I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful I had the best time in art. You were wonderful and I'm excited to see you in DC.